fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. Though the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you, Lord. arise to you when I cannot feel your hand in mine let faith arise to you God of mercy and love I will praise you Lord how you shine with glory Lord of light I feel alive with you in your presence now I come alive I am alive with you there is strength when I God 
stepped down into time and wrote the story of his love for everyone. He has filled our hearts with wonder so that we always remember you and I are made to worship, you and I are called to love, you and I are forgiven and free. When you and I embrace surrender, when you and I choose to believe, then you Bible for me are the writings of John. I think that John is an artist. He paints beautiful pictures with his words. In the book of 1st John, in the fourth chapter, beginning with the ninth verse, he paints this picture of love. We've been singing about God's love already. 
But I want you to imagine this, this picture that John paints as he talks about God's love for us and even our love for him. John says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He gave us his one and only son. There is no greater love than that. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. We love because he first loved us. Do you believe that this morning? Amen. Let's continue to worship. The head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet. Now at his feet we
watched in vain was borrowed for three days his body there would not remain so god has robbed the grave our god has robbed the grave your name your name is victory your praise will rise to Christ our king your name your name is victory your praise will rise to Christ our king by your spirit i will rise from the ashes of defeat the resurrected king is resurrecting me in your name i come alive to declare your victory the resurrected king is
Say this prayer with me this morning. Oh God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Quick question for you. Does anyone enjoy waiting? Like waiting in the doctor's office or waiting in the school pickup line? Does anybody pick up kids at Edgewood Elementary right now besides me? Holy smokes. Like 90% of my life is waiting in that pickup line right now. Nobody actually likes waiting. Right? I've been waiting nearly seven years for something. I'm going to tell you this really quick story. All right. We've been in Marysville almost seven years. We've lived in our, in our house in Marysville almost seven years. When Chelsea and I first moved into our house, um, we, were, we were hanging out with my brother and my sister-in-law. And we're, we're, you know, we're talking about our house and, and you know, it's, everything is good. We're you know, just doing some painting. My sister-in-law chimes in and says, hey, would you be interested in granite countertops for your house? And of course, I'm like, yeah, because granite countertops are awesome, right? Uh, yeah, I would love some granite countertops. Unfortunately, I'm a, I don't make a million dollars an hour, and I can't afford them, right? She's like, I got something for you, okay? Uh, so some friends of ours, they own a warehouse, and they, their tenant for this warehouse was a granite company that, that makes granite countertops. They got evicted. Our friends, uh, they took possession of the warehouse, and they have a warehouse full of granite slabs. And she's like, if you come and help us clear that out, we'll get you granite tops. Now, I don't know if you've ever moved granite slabs, but, like, they're not light at all, right? So I put it, I'm like, yeah, I'll put in a day's work for, for free granite countertops. Uh, and, and I'm like, I'm not a handyman. I can't, like, I could have a slab of granite in my house, and that would be cool, but it wouldn't look anything like a countertop. So I can't do that. So like, no worries. You come help us uh, buy the tools we need to cut it. And, uh, and we'll come up, and we'll, we'll help you put in that, the, those countertops. So, so I go, I help. I, we move tons and tons of granite. And do you know what kind of countertops I have in my house right now? They're not granite. <laughs> They're not granite at all. I have not seen my granite slabs since the day that I moved to the warehouse and, uh, and I picked out my granite. I have no idea where they're at. I don't know if they still exist. I'm still waiting for them to say, hey, let's put in your granite countertops. Now, I'm pretty sure that my brother's not watching the live stream. If he is, this could get really awkward really quick. But I'm still waiting for my granite countertops. I've essentially given up hope that I'm going to have granite countertops. Anyway, nobody actually likes waiting, right? The truth is, though, is that a lot of times we find ourselves waiting for things that are much more significant than granite countertops. All right, maybe you found yourself waiting for God to come through in certain situations. Maybe you've been waiting for God to come through in physical healing. Maybe you've been waiting for God to come through in, uh, in, in finding a new job. Maybe you've been waiting for God to come through in, in your home life being better and more healthy. Maybe you've been waiting for God to come through in, in having a child of your own. Maybe you've been waiting for God in all of these different areas of your life, and the truth is it's really difficult. Well, in the youth group this month, we are talking about this exact same thing. We're, we're working through a series called Waitlisted, and what we're doing 
is we're saying, let's look at some people in Scripture, some characters in the Bible who are waiting for God, who are waiting for God to come through. And in, what we're finding is in the midst of this waiting, there's some difficulty. There's questions, right? There's doubting of, of God's faithfulness. There's frustration. There's anger. There's chaos. And there's just this overwhelming sense of like, God, where are you? When are you going to come through? And what we're doing is we're trying to find some principles and some nuggets of wisdom from these characters in, in their midst of waiting to see how can we faithfully wait on God. One of the stories that has stuck out to me and a little truth uh, that has stuck out to me from this uh, is in the story of Paul. Now, you know Paul. Paul was, uh, was formerly one of those guys who persecuted Christians and, and, and killed Christians and hunted them down and, and arrested them. Then he had this encounter with the living Christ, right? And so he kind of flip-flopped, or as Dr. Manley would say, he, he repented, right? He changed directions, and, and he started following Christ. Well, as you can imagine, that made some people really unhappy. And so as Paul is going out, he oftentimes found himself in prison, right? He found himself in jail. And I can't help but imagine that as Paul is in the middle of these times where he is in jail, he's waiting on God, right? He's wondering, God, I'm doing what you told me to do. In fact, this story that I'm going to read a passage, just a quick verse from, he actually, he, he followed the Holy Spirit to preach in Macedonia, and he ended up in jail. So I can't help but imagine that he's, he's wondering, like, God, what are you doing here? I'm following you. I'm doing what you said, and here I am just waiting on you, sitting in jail, waiting I'm frustrated, I'm angry, this is not the way that I wanted things to go. But listen to what happens in this story. I'm, I'm not going to read the entire story, just the first verse from this story, and I want, you to, I want you to hear this. This is in Acts chapter 16. This is, Paul and Silas had been preaching in Macedonia, and it led them to being in jail. And he says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners we're listening to them. Now, the rest of the story goes on that there's this great storm and, and, and wind and, and the earth is shaking, and they essentially are able to escape from prison. But in the midst of this, the jailer actually uh, starts to follow Christ. His entire household starts to follow Christ. It's this really fascinating story, but here's what stuck out to me. As Paul and Silas were in the midst of this waiting time, this frustration and anger, what were they doing? It says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And there, do you know what that means? That means that they were aware that God was with them. That in the midst of their waiting, in the midst of their frustration, their anger, they were well aware that God was with them and that led them to this response of praise and singing and praying and worship. And so I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. That even in the midst of our waiting, as frustrating as it can be, as angering as it can be, as, man, as terrible and heartbreaking as our waiting can be, what if we clung to the truth that even in the midst of that, God is with us? And what if then we turned that into a response of praise, praying, crying out to God? And I don't mean just happy things, because if you read the Psalms, there are times of waiting where that worship looked a little bit angry, right? A little bit of crying out in desperation to God. But what if we responded in the time of our waiting by understanding that God is with us. Pastor Paul is going to come and kick off a new series where we actually talk about Jesus being with the disciples. Thank you, Josh. I didn't know you would wait so long for pay. I have some work around the house I'd like you to do. 
As a kid, one of my favorite shows of all time was Mission Impossible. Anybody remember Mission Impossible? You know, the, just a great, great show. And he'd get the, the, the tape recording in the, in the show, and it'd say, Your mission, Jim, if you choose to accept it. And, of course, he always accepted it, or there wouldn't be a show that week. And so they were sit on this mission, and it was always kind of a, an interesting name for a show. It was called Mission Impossible. You know, impossible seems like pretty hard, uh, but spoiler alert, every week they were able to accomplish the mission in less than an hour, right? And, and so week after week, they were sent on this impossible mission. They probably should have changed the title Mission Improbable or Mission Very Hard, but that wasn't as, as, as uh, catchy, I guess. So they were successful every week. And, and so that, that's a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert for this series. Jesus has sent us on a mission. And over the next few weeks, over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about that mission that Jesus has sent us on. We'll be examining the 40 days after the resurrection and before the ascension. This is how long Jesus is physically on the earth after the resurrection and before he ascends into heaven. This is 3% less than 0.3% or 3% of his public ministry. You know, 40 days is not a long time. It's, it's less than a month and a half. Uh, this is a fascinating period. And, and as I've read these stories, they're always a little bit interesting. There, there's a little bit of mystery in these stories. Jesus encounters the, the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. We're not going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about the stories with the disciples, the 11. But he encounters these, these two guys on the Emmaus Road, and they don't recognize him for this entire time that he's walking with them. And so there's a little bit of mystery in these appearances of Jesus. There, there's times that, that Jesus just shows up. The doors are locked, and it seems like Jesus is just there. And, and so there's a little bit of, um, of just... Fascination in these stories and, and how Jesus is there and, and the disciples don't always recognize him and he's, he, he, he shows up in unexpected places. He, he's not with the disciples. As far as I read these accounts, it does not seem to be with, he does not seem to be with the disciples the whole time. And in fact, he just shows up at times. And, and sometimes it's in unexpected moments. They're, they're on this fishing trip and you know, it's, it's like Jesus has been gone and they're just kind of giving up and they go on this fishing trip and all of a sudden Jesus is there. So for the next five weeks, we'll, we'll examine these appearances with the disciples. What did he say? What did he emphasize? It seems to me that this should be important. These, these 40 days when Jesus is showing up with these disciples, it seems what he's telling them, how he's, he's directing them, should be important in our understanding of this continuing mission of Jesus. And a matter of fact, there, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of continuity. There's a lot of similarities in what he tells the disciples in these last encounters that are recorded in Scripture. So we'll look at John today. We're going to look at John 19 through 29. Uh, then we're going to look at Luke 24, 36 through 24. And this is parallel to the, to the John 20 uh, encounter. We're going to look at John 21, which is the interrupted uh, fishing trip. We're going to look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is the Great Commission. And then we're going to look at Acts 1 uh, through 1 through 11, which, which is the Ascension. Uh, each of these have a slightly different 
flavor, a slightly different emphasis. Uh, there's overlap, but, but each of them add to our level of understanding. So we're going to start this morning with John 20, beginning in verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So he said, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. But when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins will have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, and the, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger, see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Jesus just blessed you right there, by the way. Do you, do you, do you catch that? That Jesus is blessing you in your belief. You know, there's, there's much to digest in this passage. You know, I always wonder, where's Thomas? You know, all of them are there, but Thomas, um, you know, Thomas misses this significant event with Jesus. You know, I don't like to miss out on things. I, I like to, to, to participate when, when something good's happening. We were on a beach in Cocoa Beach several years ago, and while we were there, there was a space launch that I found out after the fact. You know, I was bummed for days because I thought all I would have had to do was walk out of the condo onto the beach and I could have seen a, a lifetime experience, a space launch, but I missed it. But Thomas missed this first encounter with Jesus after the resurrection. And not only did he miss, but he ended up with this awesome nickname, um, Doubting Thomas, right? What, what a great nickname to carry to, to your grave, Doubting Thomas. And I always wonder when I read that, what would my biblical nickname be? <laughs> It'd probably be Dumb and Stupid Doubting Paul. But, uh, you, you know, he's got this nickname that sticks with him. And, 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 but the beauty of the passage is this, that after eight days, Jesus comes to the doubter. Now, now I think about this, this eight-day period there's been multiple conversations, and, and, and Thomas is stuck with them. And, 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 and yet I think each day when Jesus does not appear again, I believe Thomas is getting even firmer in his disbelief, in his belief that Jesus had not shown up, had not raised from the dead. But then eventually Jesus shows up. And there's a truth in that. Jesus always takes the initiative in our faith journeys. 
We never find Jesus. Jesus is always searching for us. And He takes the initiative. And we call this prevenient grace. The grace that goes before. And I'm glad in my faith journey, it's not been based on me, but it's been based on Him. That was a good amen there. And then verse 23 is fascinating. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you've retained the sins of any, they have been retained. Um, a lot of scholars have wrote a lot of information on this verse. There's been a lot of confusion, a lot of debate, a lot of division in theology on this little phrase. You know, we, we, we look at this and we say, wait, isn't God the only one who forgives isn't God the one that forgives sin? And yet there's this passage from Jesus where he's saying, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And, and I think when we look at this to understand it, we have to understand that this is connected with the giving of the Holy Spirit. And the focus of this passage, the focus of what Jesus is saying, is not on what they are doing, but on what God is doing through them. God forgives but we have a part. And as we move through these passages, we see we can proclaim forgiveness, we can help lead people in the process. And I think what we understand from this passage is this, our community matters. That we were not created for isolated spiritual experiences, but we were created for community and we experience salvation and sanctification and maturity and growth in the midst of community. That, that God uses community to serve and to give, and we learn all these things in the midst of each other. There's a, it matters. But the key for this morning and for this series is this phrase. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. You know, I'm always fascinated by the language in these passages. You know, we're, we're reading this in English. This has been translated um, from, from Greek, but we're reading this in English. And in our dictionary, peace means this mutual harmony, the end of war. In fact, most of the time when we, we see the word peace, we, we think of an absence of conflict. The, the language of the New Testament is primarily Greek, and, and the word used here is irene, uh, which, which deals once again with harmony. Um, newsflash, Jesus didn't speak English. He didn't speak Greek. Jesus spoke Aramaic. And so what you have in the passages with Jesus speaking is they're taking the language he spoke, Aramaic, and they're translating it to Greek. Most likely, the word that Jesus used here was a form of the great Hebrew word shalom. This typical greeting. And, and this word shalom means more than an absence of conflict, but it's a call to wholeness. And so when Jesus is greeting them in this way, he's saying shalom, wholeness. It fits perfectly in where he's going with this passage. He's saying, I am calling you to wholeness. 
and you're being called to lead others to wholeness. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so Jesus is saying, my mission, I have come from the Father to lead people into wholeness. It's not just a greeting, but it's the reality of life. And you are here to continue the mission of Jesus. Jesus refers to himself as an apostle. In this passage, when he's referring to himself as one who is sent, Jesus is in essence saying, I am the first apostle. The word apostle literally means one who was sent. And so Jesus is saying, I have been sent by the Father. I am an apostle from the Father, and I am sending you. And you will be identified, not as a disciple, but you will be identified as an apostle, as one who is sent, one who is sent off. And so all of these guys, these 11 that remain, are identified from now on, not as disciples, but as apostles. And it's not based on qualifications. They didn't go to apostle school, right? It's not based on uh, experience. As far as what we can see in the scripture, none of these guys have backgrounds or experience or education other than being with Jesus that would make them uniquely qualified to be apostles. It's not based on resources. As far as we can tell, once again, from the biblical story, none of these guys had a lot of money. They they weren't well connected politically. In fact, the powers that be, the the local powers and the foreign powers, had just together crucified Jesus. Can anybody relate to that? No money, no power. Okay, that's, that's me. It's not based on momentum within the group of disciples. They're not super charged up. In fact, they're confused and they're scared. Even after the resurrected Jesus had come to them, Jesus had come to them and, and, you know, hey, Thomas, here's where the spear pierced me. Thomas, here's where the nails were. It's after this that Peter organizes this impromptu fishing trip after they'd encountered the resurrected Jesus. And so what this tells me Even though they believed Jesus had resurrected, it had not returned them to any momentum that they had felt in their ministry with him. It was not based on sustained growth. You know, this this movement was not growing even after the resurrection. Jesus had sent out 12 early in his ministry, and and he had developed some more disciples, and and then he sends out 72 more. And and then there's these huge crowds, and, you know, he's feeding the 5,000, and now it's just the 11 and maybe a handful more. But by Pentecost, there's 120 in the upper room. Well, that well, Pastor, that's growth. 
This is a far cry from the 5,000 women and children he fed. It's, it's a far cry from the crowds that were cheering him when he came into Jerusalem. Jesus had 120 in the upper room, and yet Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that Jesus had personally appeared to 500 brothers at one time. That's not counting women and children. There's no momentum. 120. Even though they'd encountered the resurrected Jesus, they had personally seen him, there was only 120 still there. That means many just returned to Galilee. Why? You know, frankly, I, I believe they had head knowledge of the resurrection, but what they saw was the crucifixion. That they were scared and confused. And Jesus is saying, you have the same mission I have. Great. We saw where that mission took you. We believe and we see, but we see where that mission took you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What's the point? The sending has nothing to do with circumstances, perceived qualifications, resources, or momentum. They're still sent. Can we take that to today? We have been sent. We have the same mission as Jesus. As we sit in this room, we have the same mission as Jesus, and we have been sent. We're all apostles. Look at your neighbor and say, you're an apostle. Go ahead, go ahead, and you tell them you're an apostle. You know, I think we hear these words and we think, well, I could use more preparation. Yeah, there's always need for more preparation, and preparation doesn't ever stop, but we have been sent even now. Maybe we need more resources. You always need more resources. I think Craig Rochelle says vision is always bigger than resources. In other words, God usually calls us and stretches us beyond our ability to do things right now. Circumstances need to be perfect. You know, can we just grow up and realize circumstances are never perfect? I was told we could have kids when we could afford them. I still can't afford to have kids. We have been sent. Not God is going to send us. We have been sent. Sent where? This isn't about mission trips. You know, I've been on several mission trips. I love mission trips. They're great. I love them. Go on a mission trip if you get a chance. But this isn't about mission trips. This isn't about church programs. This isn't about just, okay, uptown Friday night, I'm sent, and I'll be sent then. Or, or when I prepare meals on Tuesday night, I'm sent then. It's not about programs. Organizations, not bad, but it's bigger than this. And the Great Commission, which we'll talk about later in the series, Jesus says, in your going... In your going, make disciples. And so what he's saying is that this is living with an awareness of sentness. 
Wherever we go, it's living in an awareness that God has sent us to be his apostles, to be his ambassadors, to be his witnesses. What if when you went to work, you went with an awareness God had sent you there? It wasn't about a paycheck. Paychecks are nice. And all God's people said, paychecks are nice. It's not because you applied and they hired you. It's not because you can't find something better. It's because God has sent you there for his purpose. What about your business card? It said apostle. When you returned home from work, what, what if you were an apostle to your family? You didn't get home to get out of the rat race, but you were going because you were sent there for a purpose. You were an apostle to your spouse, to your kids, to your grandkids. Husband, when you pulled in, your wife would say, hey, the apostle's here. What if you went out to your front yard to mow as an apostle? Your neighbor said, there's the apostle. He's out mowing his yard today. What if you went to the gym, the store, your kid's soccer game, to school with an awareness of sentness that God had you there for a purpose. Everywhere you went, there goes the apostle. Of course, that's ridiculous. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to be even known as that. I think that's more put off than anything you'd say. That's jokey, you know. But, but, but this awareness of sentness, it's not about titles, but it's about awareness, discernment, boldness. It's, it's, why, it's why I'm in the workplace some. It's, it's why I did stuff at FedEx. It's, it's why I'm doing stuff at Euphinger Law now. I want to live this with you. And too often as a pastor, I, I've preached this, that, hey, you, you need to be aware and you need to understand your sin, and yet I'm in my church office, and it's like, how can I even relate what, it, what it's like? It's, it's easy to talk about this stuff from a pulpit. Amen? Amen? It's true, right? It's easy to talk about this stuff, but a lot harder to live in the real world. You live in workplaces where you've got to be careful because of the politics of the day, what you say to people. You can't lose your job. And so we live in this, in this place where it's not always easy. And, and so what I found... In my own personal journey, and, and why I like talking about this and think I can with some authority, is that when I'm out there and I'm aware and I pay attention and I'm obedient, God has given me opportunities. You know, it's not world-changing opportunities, but I've seen opportunities in my limited time in the workplace. And I think you will too. <laughs> That when we open our eyes, when we're aware, when we're bold, we can experience those moments of sentness. Now, a couple of things to consider, just very practically as we talk about this. Uh, I believe, I, I firmly believe, 
we are better together. Jesus sent them originally in pairs. Now, now you see sendings in, 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 the, in the book of Acts and in, in different places where people are alone, but, but primarily you see them being sent in pairs. You see Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas. You see Barnabas and Timothy. And you, you see different people sent in different ways. We're best in community. That when Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, I believe we have this context of somebody with a fishing pole sitting on a, you know, you know by themselves. But the fishing Jesus talks about is not fishing with a pole, but it's fishing with a net, and it's with other people. And so there's this ideal of community even in our sentness. Now this, Acts 1-3, and this is fascinating to me. It says, Jesus appeared and with many convincing proofs proved that he had resurrected from the dead. Pretty significant stuff. And yet, even in this, even in this convincing proofs, they weren't going until after Pentecost. The, the Pentecost, um, the Spirit came on them and, and they went. And, and there's some truth that Jesus is saying, wait. But I don't think he's having to twist their arms to get them to wait. Head knowledge of the resurrected Christ will get you in the upper room. The Spirit will send you. See, I think we're real comfortable in the upper room. We're, we're, it's safe in here, and you know there, there, there's no risk, and there's no there's no there, there's no sense of danger, and and we can be together. You know, I classify this an upper room experience, but it takes the spirit to send us out of this room with an understanding and an awareness of being sent. All heads bowed, all eyes closed, just for a moment. Where's God sending you? What's the place in your life that an apostle needs to be? Think about those circumstances that in your mind you're thinking, man, this place, this time, this setting really needs a good dose a good measure of God. What if God wants to fill you with His Spirit and use you in those places and those circumstances? Lord, help us to be obedient to You. To understand, Lord, that we have been sent. That You're not calling us just to a head knowledge or exception, except accepting the resurrected Jesus, but you're calling us to be full of your spirit and sent to a world that, that needs to sense your love, your wholeness, your care for them. I pray to Lord, not only for, for the people that, that are hearing this message, but I pray for myself. It's easy to get comfortable to go through the motions. It's easy to get tone deaf to our circumstances. Help us, Lord. Help us to hear you and respond to you wherever we find ourselves this week. 
Lord, we're going to leave this, this place. And this message is meant to have feet. It's meant to impact how we react in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities. With an understanding of sentness, Lord. Be with us and guide us. I'm going to leave you with um, a prayer of Jesus. And this is out of John as well. And Jesus has been praying for the disciples. And can you allow Jesus to pray for you right now? Because he moves from the disciples to us. Jesus says, praying to his Father, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they may they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone but for those who also who believe in me through your, their word that they may be one even as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, who, they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. A righteous father. Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I've made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Lord, may it be in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, folks.